You can grab a seat. I, um, man, Jeannie, it is so good to have you back. This place is not the same without you. And we did the best we could to hold it down while you were gone, but it's just better that you're here. And um, I'm just so grateful for all that God did in and through you and me and us together on this. And what a, what a gift we have. So, and I also just made one of the biggest mistakes. I've learned this over the last 23 years of being married to her. Never follow Jeannie. What was I thinking? You already got the sermon for the day. What am I going to just do? Just going to say some stuff now. Man. All right. Well, let's try it together to see what we can do. God's grace, something's going to happen here. Uh, welcome to Soul City. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here, and I think it's so important that you just pay attention to this, that you decided to take time today to, uh, to grow in your relationship with God. Really, two sides of that. To grow a relationship with God, because maybe you're brand new to this whole faith thing and you're just exploring it, or to grow in a relationship with God that you already have. It's significant. There's a lot of things you said no to, to say yes to being here right now, whether you're here physically or watching online. So, I am so glad you're here. My name is Jarrett, Jeannie's husband, one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. And today we're kicking off a teaching series, a three-part teaching series, just three parts. But I'm so excited about it because um, it is getting after something that matters so much to me and to our church. Uh, the teaching series is called Jesus Said What? And that's really like if anyone asks you, what did they talk about at church today? You have to say it just like that. Jesus Said What? And so uh, we're going to be looking at the, the tough and the transformational teachings of Jesus. There's lots of things that we give Jesus credit for saying that he actually never said. It's actually not in the Bible. We just said, oh, I think Jesus said that somewhere. And then there's lots of things Jesus clearly said that we just don't pay attention to. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what was it that Jesus said that it was maybe at the time shocking or even challenging to us today. And how can we be transformed by the truth that's within his teaching? And today we're going to look specifically at our heart and what's at the center of our heart, then ultimately what we're going to seek, and my hope is that you'll be able to walk out of here answering this question, who, who's the boss of your heart? Who's in control of your heart? Now, a um, little question like survey in the room. Um, how many of you, and I don't want you to own this, if this is true of you, please like actually own this because th this is an amazing thing to be true of you. How many of you would say that you're actually a pretty good dancer. Like, raise your hand if you're actually, and keep your hand up, pretty good dancer. Like, at weddings, people are like, oh, okay. Like, you're a pretty good dancer, right? Some of you are even professional dancers. Okay, here's my follow-up question to you. What's that like? Because uh, <laughs> how does that feel to be good at dancing? Because I am not good at dancing, uh, especially like slow dancing. I am not good at that. Like with Jeannie, I just get like all the awkwardness of a middle schooler. I just never, I went to a Christian high school. We weren't allowed to dance. So I blame them. Uh, so years ago, years ago, I, for Valentine's Day, I bought Jeannie a really special gift because we, you know, you can imagine with doing what we do. We go to a lot of weddings. We do a lot of weddings. So I said, Hey, I got us a private couples dance lesson. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> The, the dance lessons weren't for her as much as they were for me, and the private part was to spare her any more embarrassment of having to dance with me. And so we set it all up, and the person came and met us and um, like, kind of laid out the ground rules. Now, I thought for sure, like my hope and desire was that we were going to learn like cool, like contemporary stuff, like we would like, have like a couple's pop and lock thing you know, going on, like that we could just shut every wedding down with, but that's not uh, what our instructor came to teach us. Uh, what our instructor came to teach us was dances like the waltz. 
and the cha-cha and the foxtrot, you know, all the dances that the cool kids are doing. And so she started uh, teaching us, and right, like, a song or two in, she stopped. She literally stopped. She goes, stop, 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 stop. This isn't working. And I felt it, too. And I think Jeannie did, too. And she's like, this isn't working. Here's the thing. And she said something that's actually very true of not only our dancing style, but also of our marriage as a whole. She said, you're both trying to lead. You both can't lead. In other words, you both can't be the boss in this scenario, okay? One of you leads and the other one follows. And she said, in dances like these, traditionally in dances like these, it's the man who leads. And I don't know if I said it too loud or too soon, but I went, yes! Because finally I felt like I had someone seeing things from my perspective in our marriage. And so I said, babe, that's the deal. And I'm sorry, it's just the rules. Like, I got to lead on this one. You got to follow. And so she agreed that she would follow me as I led in these dances and... I don't know. I, I think we were maybe half a song in the next song where we're trying to do this. And do you know what Jeannie does? As she's letting me lead, she's whispering in my ear, left one, two, right one, two. She can't help but tell me what to do. God, help her. Because it's like, it's just in her. And so I, I, it was so frustrating. And this is a true story. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. And the next, we went one more lesson, and then our instructor quit on us. We were, she literally said, it's not going to work. I'm not the right person for you. And then she gave us the name of a couple therapists and a uh, couple of counselors. No, because, look, okay, so here's what's, here's what's true in that story. What, what was that story all about? What does that have to do with Jesus? Okay, here's what's true. And, and, and this is true that you can see that there, there's a struggle in, um, in our relationships. You probably felt this. If you're in a relationship or been in a relationship, you felt the struggle. If you've ever tried to uh, ballroom dance with Jeannie, you felt the struggle. Um, but I would say it's actually where it really lives is inside of each of us personally. There actually is an ever going, ongoing struggle. And the struggle is simply this. Who's going to be the boss of me? That's really what's going on. Who's going to be the boss of me? Now, you know that phrase, right? The boss of me? Like, how many of you are younger siblings? Like, you have older brothers or sisters. Yeah, this was our go-to phrase. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do, right? And that is so much of what's going on. And specifically, as we get to this teaching we're about to look at in Jesus, it is all about, a question all about, who is going to be the boss of me? And what we're about to see is that Jesus is going to remind us of something that I believe we actually already know, but but so often forget. He's asking you this very, very, very simple question today, but it's an utterly spiritual question. Who's going to be the boss of you? Who are you going to let lead your one and only life? So what I want you to do is grab a Bible and open to Matthew chapter 6. If you brought a Bible with you, we'll mark you down for extra credit. If not, there should be a Bible right under your seat or on the armrest up in the balcony, and it looks just like this. It's a little Soul City Bible, and you can actually turn to page 787. If you're kind of new to the Bible or kind of getting familiarized with it, that'll just fast track you there. Go to page 787, and that will get you to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to give you a little quick context as to where we're coming at with this, this challenging teaching of Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is right in the middle of the most famous sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in this incredible, incredibly deep and complex sermon that Jesus gives over Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is right in the middle of it. And in Matthew chapter 6, 
Jesus has already been talking about what it looks like to give to those who are actually in need. He talks a lot about prayer, about trusting God with all of our life. And as we're about to see, then Jesus talks about money. And he talks about it very honestly and unapologetically. He talks about money. In fact, if you know anything about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, he talked a lot about money. Like a lot about money. I know some people get weird and they go to church like, oh my gosh, church and money, it's weird. You're right. In some places it really is. But with Jesus, it's not weird to him. He's so incredibly honest about it. He talks, in fact, you know, he talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell. Talks about money more than he talks about marriage and family. Talks about money more than he talks about any of the hotbed cultural issues of our day combined. He talks about money. In fact, he talks about it so much, you may begin to think, well, why why is that? Is it because... Jesus is obsessed with money? Actually, no. It's because we are. And he knows the power and and what can happen when money gets control of our hearts and our lives. And so that's why he just talks so honestly about what's at the heart of the issue of money. So this is Matthew 6, verse 19. It says this. Maybe you've heard this before. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't get caught up or invested in treasures here on earth where moth and vermin can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But he says, instead he says, store up for yourselves. And I'm going to ask you to shout the word back to me here in a second. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Don't get caught up or lost in the stuff of this world, but actually invest in the stuff of heaven. Because the stuff of heaven, moths and vermin can't destroy it, and thieves can't break in and steal that. And then he he sums it all up by saying this in verse 21. Because here's the deal. Here's kind of the bottom line for Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where where your treasure is, that's how you're going to find who's really in control, because that's where your heart will be also. Now what's, okay, so what's Jesus saying here? Is he, is he preaching against money? I didn't see that. Did you see that? Not, not at all. Basically what Jesus is just saying here is, hey, don't hang all of your hope and faith. Don't give your one and only heart to things that will eventually fade and fail and fall apart. Rather, invest in things bigger than you, things that will outlive you things of God in this world that will actually outlast this world and the impact of which echoes throughout eternity. And if you ever wonder how you're doing it, this whole idea of, man, am I kind of more invested in the stuff of this world and more invested in the stuff of God, Jesus just gave you a great litmus test. Remember what he said there at the end? If you want to know what's really going on or where things are at, if you want to know what has a hold of your heart, it's really easy. Just look to where you spend the most amount of time. Look at where the majority of your thoughts tend to go. Pay attention to the direction of the energy that you're giving yourself towards, and that will tell you what matters most to you. That's how you'll know. Pay attention to the time that you spend on things and the energy and the thoughts that you give to things. That is how you know what actually matters most to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that the receipts don't lie. Just look at the receipts, like of your thoughts and of your energy and of your time. They don't actually lie. What does my time and my thoughts, my energy, what is it going towards? Because whatever it is, that is what has your heart. It's just true. 
And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 24. Jump down there because he drops a bomb in verse 24. This is what he says. He says, listen, no one can actually serve two masters. You can't do it. You're not the exception to the rule. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. In case you didn't get the metaphor, Jesus is saying, let me say it like plainly and clearly. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is making an invaluable point about what we value most. Now, he uses some imagery at the beginning of verse 24 there where he talks about masters and, and servants. And what he's doing in that moment, in that context, is he's pulling from a power dynamic that they understood. He's not endorsing or condoning slavery in any fashion. But what he's saying is, hey, you know how that dynamic works. Yeah, well, it doesn't work when a servant has two masters. It just doesn't work that way, right? And if he were to do this teaching in our day and our age today, what he would say is, you probably use the language of like boss and employee. That, that makes a little bit more sense when we think about it that way, right? That it doesn't really work, you know, when you have two bosses. Um, think about it for a second. Have you ever had two bosses before? How was that experience? Just ask anyone that works here at Soul City. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> we're different. We're different. Uh, it can be complicated if the work's not done right, right? Or maybe you didn't have like two direct bosses, but I bet a lot of us have had this. You have like your boss that's in the office, but then you also have the mysterious regional manager, right? Or then you like have to interact with them, and it seems like they're not on the same page, or they don't even know that the other one exists sometimes. And you're like, who am I actually reporting to when this one asks me, what do I do? You ever had that happen before? Or how about this? If you, who here either currently or has had to in the past has worked more than one job? You've worked multiple jobs at the same time. Lots of us have, right? When I was um, finishing up college, Jeannie and I were getting pretty serious, and I wanted to propose to her. But uh, the one job that I had was not going to pay for that ring. And so I had to, to get my hustle on. And so over the course of a couple of months, about three months, I would get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to go do a landscaping job that I got. So I took care of this whole condo development, did all the landscaping for there. Then I would go from there every other day to classes because I was finishing up college at the time. And so then I'd go to classes. Then on the other days that I wasn't in college, I would go work at the church that I was a part of. I was like the youth pastor there. And so on those days, I'd go work there. But then at nights, no matter what I did on those days, at nights I went and I delivered pizzas uh, by where I lived. And so I would deliver pizzas all night. And then on the weekends, I actually had a construction job that I worked as well just to be able to pay for that ring. And I can tell you what Jesus is talking about here is true because I didn't just love one and hate the other. I hated all of those jobs, but I love that girl and I wanted to get her a ring. But I hated all of those jobs, right? You know how that, that can be. Like if, even if you like at the like the most basic level, you've ever tried to do two sports at one time, right? It's complicated. It's hard. It's tricky. It doesn't work. Eventually, one is going to win out over the other, whether it's work or sports or money or God. One will eventually take dominance, control, become the boss of your heart. You, you can't have it both ways is what Jesus is saying here. 
And for you to experience financial freedom, what Jesus is getting at here is that your, your financial freedom, you know, I mean, just even just hearing that, like, doesn't that sound good? Like, we all want that, right? Financial freedom, freedom from debt, freedom from the burden or the anxiety of money. Like, we just want to kind of, it looks different for all of us, but we want to feel and experience financial freedom. And what Jesus is saying here is that your financial freedom hangs on who holds your heart, period. Your financial freedom hangs on who holds your heart. Is it God or is it money? Who holds your heart? What, in other, what comes first? Because my hunch is you already know this. I know that you, are, you, you know this. But the, the way life works, just the way it works for just about every single one of us, is that your life is actually formed by what you put first. True. Your life is formed by what you put first. And that goes back to where you spend your time, your energy, your thoughts, your money. That's where you'll find, how did Jesus say it? Oh, yeah, that's where you'll find your heart. That's where your heart is. Look, you, you know that's true because I just want to take a second and celebrate, and let's just take a second to do it as a church, everyone from our church who ran the marathon last weekend. How, can we celebrate them? Like That is no joke. That's no joke. It's a big deal. Now, for those of us who ran it this last weekend or who've run it in the past, I know you've tried to block this time out of your life, but do you remember training? Do you remember when you were training for the marathon? Do you remember how that just kind of became all you thought about? And it, like, it filled up your schedule. It filled up your priorities, what you ate. When you missed a run, you felt it. All because of one run you were going to do at the end of it all. It became first in your life, and it kind of dominated your life. So you know that principle is true, right? In your life, whatever you put first forms your life. And so I just think it would be important for us to just get honest about what it is that we put first in our life. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, it just, it just be honest about it. You can't have it both ways. You actually have to, I have to, no one can do this for you. You have to choose who's going to be the boss of me. You have to decide, does, to quote the late 20th century theologians, the Wu-Tang Clan, does cash rule everything around me, cream, dollar dollar bills, does it actually rule everything around me? Or does God? I, I mean, you just got to get honest about that. I actually have to get honest about that. Now, the, the, here's the thing when it comes to this radical teaching. I just, I feel like I have to say this because Jesus is so honest and so, like, it's just like, yeah, this is just how it works. Here's the thing. I, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've talked about God and money for a long time. It's not weird to me because it wasn't weird to Jesus. It's not weird to me to talk about it. But here's what I found when it comes to these kinds of teachings like Jesus, where he's so honest and so clear and so direct about things that are so personal and dear to us. Here's what we found, I found about these kinds of teachings of Jesus. Nobody thinks he's talking to them. That's just the truth. Nobody. No one thinks when we hear this kind of teaching like, you have to decide. You can't have two different people calling the shots for you, two different things calling the shots for your life. You have to decide. Is it going to be God or is it going to be money? Nobody thinks Jesus is actually talking to them because nobody thinks that their life is ruled by money. Nobody. And I, I, you know how I know this? I've been a pastor for a very long time and I've had the privilege of sitting with and meeting with and praying with countless people. 
And as I was preparing for our time this weekend, I tried to sit back and remember if ever anyone sat across from me or asked me to pray for them because they're just so greedy. And I can't think of a single person that looked me in the eyes and said, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I'm just so greedy. God, all I want is money. That's all I think about. Will you just pray for me? I don't know if anyone in our prayer hall would ever say, yeah, that's what someone came in, just owning that they are so greedy because we don't think of ourselves that way. I've prayed with lots of people. I've prayed with a ton of people who have hit rock bottom financially. I've prayed for lots of people and met with people who've been overwhelmed by debt. Prayed for lots of people who got themselves, by their own admission, into financial mess. But I can't think of a single solitary person that ever actually said, I'm just so greedy. Because think about it. No one thinks it applies to them, but my hunch is you have some people that you think are greedy. And do you want to know what the truth is about the people that you think, whether they're politicians or Wall Street bros or whatever it is, do you know what the people that you think are greedy think about themselves? They don't think they're greedy either. This one is so hard to see in the mirror. We just don't own this one, even though greed actually made the list of the top seven deadly sins. We just don't think this one actually applies to us. We just say things like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get ahead. That's all. I'm not greedy. That sounds gross. No, I'm just trying to get ahead. Or I'm just trying to get out of debt. Or I'm just trying to secure my future. Or I'm just trying to get into the lifestyle that I deserve. And those things may be true. But if you've ever found yourself worrying about not having enough money, or dreaming, like daydreaming about having more money, like you've already scratched those lottery tickets in your mind, or staying in a job that you hate because it pays you so well, or buying things that are beyond your budget, or not even actually having a budget, it might just mean that you are not actually calling the shots in your life, that there is something else that has become the boss of you. And if you can get to that level of honesty, like really, like reflective, honesty, availability, like, yeah, I, it's not how I thought it was. It's not like what I think of when I think of greedy or being obsessed with money. But yeah, I can see how I've made plenty of decisions or I've revved myself up with fear and anxiety around money plenty of times. If you can get that honest, then you're finally in a place to actually see that money makes for a terrible boss of your heart. Like, a t like, think of the worst boss you've ever had. Go back to that fast food restaurant that you worked at, maybe. For me, go back to Blockbuster Video. <laughs> think of the worst boss you ever had. Money is worse than them at being a boss in your life. It's just not a good boss. Think about it. It's utterly inconsistent. It's never satisfied. It has changing values. It actually is never around when you need it. And it seems to like everyone else more than it likes you. In fact, it seems as though it doesn't even care about you nearly as much as you care about it. In fact, the truth is it doesn't care about you at all. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It doesn't. It doesn't care about you. And you want to know who gave money that kind of power? To be that terrible of a boss and yet have that big of a sway in our lives? Here's the deal. It's not American consumerism. 
It's not our politics. It's not a cultural thing. Do you know who gave money all that power over your heart and over my heart? We did. You did. I did. No one else gave money that power other than you and me. I love this. When I read this a couple years back, I was like, yes, this is what we're talking about here. It's in a book called The Soul of Money, written by Lynn Twist. Great book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And listen to what she says. Money has only the power that we assign to it, period. It only has the power that we give it. And we have assigned it immense power. Money only inherently has the power that we give to it, and we tend to give it a lot of power in our life. And yes, it's true that we, that's happening culturally. Maybe that was true of your family of origin, but at the end of the day, each of us is the only one that gives money the power that it actually has in our life. And here's the, here's the crazy thing about it. Here's the crazy thing about it. This, this is like, this is, <laughs> let's just stop for a second. It's literally just paper. Really, just stop the insanity for a second. It's just paper. That's, that's like, it's physical form. That's all it is. Its value is something that we have given it, right? It's just paper. And it is an utterly non-emotional entity. It, I just, this is like, I, it's not personal. I just, I think, let's just be honest. It feels nothing for you because it's paper. <laughs> it can't. Now, let's just get real honest for a second. Has anyone here ever, and I want you to be honest about this, has anyone here ever worried about, stressed about, felt anxious about, got kind of maybe a little sick or nervous about money ever in your life? Raise your hand. That should be everyone. All of us have felt a certain kind of way about money, but money has never felt any way about you because it can't. Can't. It's not personal. It just can't. So why would we ever give something like that, that kind of power over our heart, over our mind, over our life? See, what Jesus wants us to get here, it sounds really simple, almost even silly to say, but is that money is a terrific tool. I want to be really clear about it. He's not preaching against money, okay? Money is a terrific tool but it's a terrible boss. Like, it's a great employee. It's a terrible boss. It's a terrific tool. And there, I mean, it's, it's great. It has its place and it has its purpose. It can do wonderful things in your life. And it can make a terrible mess of your life if you make it the boss. Maybe this weekend, like, the whole reason you're here is just to, like, kind of come to a place to say, I think I want a better boss. That you deserve, actually, a better boss. We need a better boss than just more money. That's what Jesus is getting at here, that there is a God and that he is actually, he's good. Like all those characteristics I shared a second ago about money as your boss, you know, it's inconsistent, doesn't care about you, it's never around when you need it. Do you know that God's the exact, categorically the exact opposite of that, that he's good, that he loves you, he's always thinking about you. He has more than enough. He is more than enough for you. He always only wants his best for your life. There is a God. He is good. There is another way, and it's such a better way. It's when you allow God to lovingly lead 
your life. When you, go, when, you, when you put him first, remember that? You put him first, your life gets formed by that. Your life follows that by just putting him first. And I think lots of times when it comes to our finances and God, I don't think any of us have a problem going to God in our, with our finances. It's just when we go to him, right? Lots of times, like, God's the first place we go when we have financial problems. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, right? Totally been there. We've all prayed those kind of prayers, right? God is the first place we go with our financial problems, but oftentimes the last place we go with our financial plans. And all God is saying is here is, like, just put me first. Does, can God help you? Like, when you get, you know, circumstances beyond your control, medical bills that come in that you didn't see coming, and, oh, man, loss of a job, can God help you? Absolutely God can help you. In fact, the Bible says God's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Of course, God loves to help you, but he also loves to lead you. He loves when you put him first and start with him at the center and then let your life be formed by that. So the real question is for each of us to consider today is will you let God be the boss of your heart? Will you let him be the boss of your life? Will you say, okay, God, I'll, I'll follow you. I will let you lovingly lead me in all areas, including my money. You know, for, for me, when I get stuck or when I get revved up and I find myself kind of, you know, dancing around this whole idea of, oh, I don't have enough money and how's this going to work or how are we going to pay for this or, you know, all those things, all valid and fine and good. I've found that for me what helps to kind of put God back in the center, put God in the right place is a simple little prayer. It's almost like a, almost like a mantra. Maybe you have like a mantra or something in your life. It's such a simple mantra. And in a second, I'm actually going to have you say it to each other. So get ready, all right? So get ready. You're going to look at someone and say words to them in a second. But I'm going to give you the words. So introverts, you'll be okay, all right? Here's a little mantra. When I find myself getting stressed out, revved up, you know, all worked up about money, this is what I say. God is the boss of me. <laughs> Go back to that phrase. God's the, God, you're the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money. I, maybe I forgot that. I'm the boss of my money. You can literally like take your water and go, I'm the boss of you. I'm the boss of you. You don't tell me what to do, right? God's the one that does that. God leads me. God's the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money. When I put him first and follow him, he will lead me into what to do with all of my resources. He will lead me into knowing how to discern what's something that's going to eventually fail or fade away or what's something of God that I can get behind but I got to make him the boss. And then I got to be the boss of my money. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Everyone look at someone. Again, this is not metaphorical. Like I would need you to do this. And if you're at a Starbucks watching online, find someone at the table next to you <laughs> to see what happens. Follow me on this one. Look him in the eyes. And this is what I want you to say. Say this. Say, God is the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money. Okay, now say it like you mean it. God is the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money. And I think we need to be reminded of that. That it's actually, honestly, that simple. God, I want you to be the boss. I want you to be in charge. I want you to be in control. And I'll follow you. I want to put you first so that my life can be formed by you. And then I'll be able to tell my money where to go and what to do. To enjoy it for all that it can do. It's a terrific tool. Just a terrible boss. 
And so I want to give you a little homework as we close out this teaching for today. I want to give you two next steps. One is one that you're going to do this week, and then one's one that we're going to do in like 60 seconds. First bit of homework I want to give you comes later in the week. If you want to say, God, I want you to you know, be the boss of me. I want you to lead, lovingly lead my life, and I want to get money out of the center of my heart so I can put it in its proper place, here's a great next step for you. It's coming up this Saturday. It's our Money Wise Workshops. This is one of the best, most like spiritually practical things that we offer to get your money right, to get God at the center. And I think, it, isn't it so crazy that I'm teaching on God and money today and it just happens to be this Saturday? Isn't that crazy that that happened? I don't know. Let's just go with it. And so it's this Saturday and it's not just a workshop. It's better to be called workshops because there's little workshops within it on how to set a budget, how to work on getting out of debt, how to begin to save for your future, how to do money right with God at the center, God coming first. It, it fills up almost every single time. So I just want to encourage you. It's this Saturday. I, if you have felt any of what we've been talking about here today, what Jesus was speaking to 2,000 years ago, I think this is a great next step. I think this is a great next step. And the last one, and then I'm done. Um, some of you who've been going to church for a while, you're familiar with, with church stuff. John's been going to church for many years, right, John? You, you know this thing inside and out. He's a church pro. He probably noticed, or maybe you noticed, that we have not done the thing where we receive an offering this week, right? Because normally I do that towards the top of the message. We do that to give a chance for you to respond to God. We did not do that. Because what I wanted to do was talk about this from the heart of Jesus first, and then let's just, as a spiritual practice, give ourselves the opportunity to practice it, to actually have an opportunity to say, wait, this is how I do it. This is how I put God in the center, center of my money. I just release my resources. I invest in things of God in this world, like the work of this church and its ministries in this city and around the world. Oh, this is how I begin to do it. And I know that there's some of you, there, like, there's some of our folks that might be cynical and you're just thinking, oh yeah, you saved it to the end of the message so you could get more money. Maybe, I don't know, why not? Let's see what happens. <laughs> well, let's just see what happens first, okay? No, that's not why we did it. It's not why we did it. The majority of our church gives online anyway, so it's already all kind of set up. This is just a practice. And for some of you, it may mean, hey, I want to just start. I need to start. And so there's, we say it every week, three ways you can give. Go online, set it up. You can text in to give. That'll help you get it set up. Or you can actually give in this moment. Some people love to give in this moment. It's their way of saying, God, I'm releasing. I'm not going to let this sit at the center of my life. It will not be the boss of me. What a beautiful act. That's why we do it. Not out of guilt or obligation, but out of, of joy and gratitude for how God has blessed us. So we're going to give. Does that sound good? And I'd love to pray for us before we do. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for, for this teaching. So unapologetically unambiguous. You're not weird around money, Jesus. We don't want to be either. And so help us to do the thing that you've invited us to do, to put you at the center, to take anything and everything that's trying to take control of our heart, be the boss of our lives, out of that place and place you where you belong. You are worthy. You have proven yourself, God, that you are good and you are faithful and you are kind and you are loving. God, it's us that needs to be reminded of that. And so help us today to just do that, specifically when it comes around money, God. I just pray that there would be such a movement of the Holy Spirit that is not 
there's not any guilt or any shame or any fear, but like that taste of freedom that comes when we give you the reins of our heart. I pray that that would be true of our church. May we get this one right so that we can experience the life that you actually have created us for and called us into. So Jesus, thank you. God, be blessed. And Holy Spirit, move as only you can do as we give and respond to you now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.